But um, I did journal back then, and I did know that it would be so dope to have a female Bukowski, like a young woman writing that raw. Like, I fucked this dude last night, and he was like, blah, 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 you know? And that's how I write to this day. That was poet Cassandra Dallet. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll get to know poets, photographers, comedians, and San Franciscans from all walks of life as they tell stories, share personal histories, and try to put into words what makes this city so special. In this episode, Cassandra enrolls in high school in San Francisco, makes some unlikely friends, and talks about meeting up here with friends from her home back east. She ends the show describing how she got started writing poetry and doing spoken word. Here's Cassandra. So I started Galileo High right when I got there. So Galileo at that time was called Hatchet High. It's now a really good school. It was a really fucking terrible school in the early 80s. Fucking horrible. Um... There there was probably three white kids and I was one of them. But I was walking through the hallway. Everybody would just stare and laugh and whatever. Big ass ball head. Totally lost. I literally came out of the country like the backwoods too. And it was a huge school. And, it, you know, and I didn't know like then that I'm just a super anxious person. I'm totally afraid of crowds and I could never even do that now. Right. But... Um, yeah, it was really overwhelming, right? So I'm there. And also, I was always fucking horrible in school and hated school. And so I was in like these super remedial ass classes and they wouldn't let me move out of them because my grades were bad. Mm-hmm. And it was just a joke, a total fucking joke. Like, because I was a really avid reader mm-hmm. already. And I was in class, you know, I was always in classes with people that I could not really even read. And yeah. the math class was down in the basement somewhere. Was class also just kind of theater? Like it was just kids fucking off? Or? There was definitely cocaine and thing- in weed class. in the classrooms. There were some <laughs> things happening. <laughs> there was a lot of hilarity. Um, but yeah, it was it was a definite culture shock. But the cool thing is I was walking along and this pretty Chinese girl with all black on and totally ripped pantyhose layered on top and all this black eyeliner is like, hey, what's up? And I was like, hey. And she's like, come out to the wall and meet my sister in passion. So I went out to the wall and I met Wendy. That was Judy. Mm-hmm. And her sister's Wendy. Um, and their friend was Passion. And Passion was like the silent Bob. She, they were <laughs> all kind of more metal heads. So um, they, yeah, they were really more in the metal scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but they knew there was a lot of, there was some overlap. But not yet like it later became. Okay. There was little overlap. But we were definitely part of that overlap that there was mm-hmm. then. Because of... Well, because we hung out together. So we started. So they were like, oh, we're going to leave and uh, go steal some diet pills or something. And so I was like, "Okay." And I thought they were totally insane. Yeah. Like, uh, like I might have looked totally insane, but I was like, these bitches are crazy. Those are the freaks. They're really fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, whatever. We do what the fuck we want. Were you like that they're crazy, but also super interested, intrigued? Like, I want to hang out. I totally want to hang out with them. Oh, totally. Yeah. 
But I was, yeah, I've always been, I'm curious, you know, mm-hmm. I want to have the experience. I, I was like trying to have all of them as <laughs> quickly as possible. <laughs> uh, right, obviously. So we, we went to the store. They stole a bunch of shit. We went to their mom's house. They were huffing white out, out of paper bags. I was like, these bitches are crazy. I'm just like, I just want a 40 ouncer. Like, just, I just drink my 40 ouncer. Their mom has been mentioned on this podcast, thanks to Ava. So China, so we're talking uh, Chinatown now. So right? we're in Chinatown. Their mom yes. still lives in that same apartment. Yep. Um, Is this your first time to that Chinatown? That was or? the first time I was with them. No, because my aunt actually also worked in a um, vintage store on Grant Avenue, and I was always down at the on Broadway. Mm. So I was in Chinatown as it related yeah. to those things. Right. Um, North Beach, you know, like Grant Street, and definitely Broadway. I mean, we. I pretty much went to Broadway every night. That's what you did. You, you just like Hate Street was daytime and Broadway was nighttime. Once that fog came in, um, kind of went that way. But um, so, yeah. So I'm like, they're a trip, right? So I go back to my life on Hate Street full time and dropped out of school, basically. And they dropped out of school too, but we didn't really know that because we weren't in contact. And then that summer... I was coming down Hay Street and like these crazy ass girls flying down the middle of Hay Street down the big hill to visit Daryl and stuff on a skateboard. And that was Wendy. And we're like, hey, what's up? Like, I know you from Cal. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, the missing, missing piece. Missing piece. Um, so I'm hanging out with a lot of skinheads now. And um, there used to be this crazy chick, Drew, Christoph and Drew. Drew was a punk rocker, huge mohawk, and her dude was a skinhead, and she was known for, like, biting people's nose off and shit like that. Like, she, yeah, like, she was scrappy as fuck. Um, And she had once been um, paid $60 to beat me up for sleeping with somebody else's boyfriend, but I had sleep with her boyfriend, too, and she was too scared because I was so big, right? So I could bluff, you know, but she would have fucking murdered me, like, no question about it. She was a street fighter. I was from Vermont. Um, I just was really lucky to be quiet, look kind of mean, and be really big. Um, and so Drew and some other skinhead chicks... I go to school. I I was so drunk. I didn't go out with them one night because I was so fucking sick from the night before. I made it home with no shoes, blood all over me, and yeah, I was. It was really bad. And so then I was like, "Yeah, I'm staying tonight." One of the girls came to get me. This obnoxious runaway skinhead girl, and then. And they're like, all right, well, we're going to be out. And there was a show at the Mab. I don't remember what. And when I went back to school on Monday, Wendy and Judy were like, hey, we got jumped on Friday night or Saturday night. We got jumped by these skinhead chicks. One of them's name is Drew. And I was like, oh, boo. Like, I was literally supposed to be with them. And I'm just like, that is so trash. Like, these are kind of my friends. And so that was the beginning of the end of that, the skinhead affiliation, right? Because it was really all driven about the huge crush on bags, um, which meant I slept with all the rest of them mostly, but him too. <laughs> yeah. Um, So that was kind of the beginning of the end of that. And then after when we met in the summer, we really started hanging out. And then we were like... My house was right there, and so they lived with me, essentially. Like, I had this little tiny bedroom, and it would be, like, six, seven, eight people sleeping in there every night. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
And so some of the Boston people I knew had come out. So Mike's brother, Clam, I knew in Boston. Mm -hmm. And then I knew him when he came out here. And Nathan's brother, Wendy's husband, Nathan, his brother, Jason, it was Mike McGlinchey, Clammy, and Jason. Jason was later in Celebrity Skins. Now he's touring with Red Cross. Mm -hmm. Um, They came out here. And so I always had this weird, that crossover of all these East Coast people that I knew. Right. Sorry, Um, just quickly for my own, or maybe whatever. Um, Earlier when you were still talking about Vermont and, and your time out there, you kept, or not kept, but a couple times you mentioned the city. Did you mean Boston? Yes. Okay. So you just kind of. Yeah. Uh, my dad came from New-, sure. New York and Connecticut mostly, and my mom came from Boston. And my dad and I used to drive to Boston all the time got it, got because it, he it. was always looking up ex-girlfriends. Once my mom left him, he went through his whole repertoire of like everybody he fucking ever dated before her. Right. I'm so like him. It is so disturbing. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry. Anyway. So now. So now let's. So, sorry. yep, the back city was right, Boston. And um, so Max and Nathan lived in Roxbury on Huntington Ave. And then Max lived on Mission Hill. So I stayed with him a lot there at his mom's house and stuff. And then I have a lot of cousins in, back then were in Brighton and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then I even tried to live in Boston once, but that didn't last long at all. Yeah. Because I had already been out here and there was no yeah. fucking way but you had those few guys that you're talking about but i knew yeah here. like clammy started the gallery at right. at mike's place and everything right, right. i knew him from before i didn't know mike but i knew clammy and um and wendy's first boyfriend was also one of those east coasters um pete well not first boyfriend but before she married nathan and but the thing is so what i'm saying is that Mike and that Judy and Wendy married dudes that I had connections from the East Coast with, but didn't meet them for me at all. Right. That's the thing that's funny to me. Um, so, yeah, totally. They met because of their connections to each other, but it had zero to do with me and the fact that I knew a bunch of them from out there. Um, Did you meet Mike through Clam or? I met Mike Judy. once he was dating Judy Through because Judy. in the um, early 90s, I went back east for a while. And when I came back, Judy met Mike because Mike was at Pete's house when Wendy was living with Pete. Pete and Mike grew up in Maine together. Okay. They've known each other since they were like seven years old. Right. And so Mike used to go over there and he was kind of crushed out on Judy. And then they had got together. And by the time I came back into town, they were living on Bush Street. Um, Bush, so Bush and Powell in this little tiny apartment. I think he talked about it on the podcast Probably. a little bit. It, you know how something can be a total shithole, but it was like the happiest you of ever course. were. And yes. so we all have these really, really fond memories of yeah. this apartment. It was our shithole. Like that apartment was not much bigger than this living room. But I went through labor in that apartment. Like we we shared Christmas there, just us and our little bit of nothing. And it was just a really sweet, sweet time of of transition in all of our lives for sure. And that was Mike and Judy's? That was Mike and Judy's. I mean, they're still that way today. They are. Anyway. Yeah. Um, And this is still the 80s? Do they meet in the 80s? I can't remember. No, in the 90s. 90s, okay, still. Okay, so I've got you up to 85. That's how long I've been friends with them. So then we were like thick as thieves. Wendy, Judy, Passion, Cassie. That was this. That was us. We, We were rolled hard we hung out with punk rockers skinheads metalheads the brothers from the neighborhood cholos like we went on adventures me and wendy had like a pact of you never turn down adventure 
So when the guy showed up at the house and was like, oh, I have um, liquid acid and like some meth and something, you want to go for a ride to Santa Cruz? You said yes. Absolutely. And then you found yourself camping on somebody's lawn in Marin. But um, yeah, we, we, that was our thing. And we and Wendy has always been really good at like getting older guys to give us all their drugs and money. Mm-hmm. So we, you know. It worked for us. So we rolled like that for years. And then like, you know, shit started getting real. We, well, we, okay. We went to Alamo Park. This is good. The high school I graduated from is Alamo Park, which is, um, you know, the most famous view of San Francisco with the painted ladies, Mm -hmm. Alamo Square. Mm -hmm. So there's a continuation school. It's still there. It's called Ida B. Wells now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was a continuation school run by a black woman named Yvonne Scarlett Golden, who mm-hmm. was like a Black Panther, super radical, super fucking active, knew everybody. And she had like Angela Davis stop by to awesome. talk to us and Nelson Mandela's daughter, Carlos Santana, Ron Dellums, Willie Brown, like everybody came to our school because just because they were friends with her and we were all complete fuck ups. We didn't give a shit about anything, you know, but anyhow, so some, Oh, our other friend Susie discovered that you could go up there and enroll yourself and tell them that you had a job. So you just had to go in the morning, go to a couple classes, eat free lunch and leave. So we all marched up there and signed ourselves up and told them that. And then so we used to meet up at Alamo. But usually what actually happened is that everybody would be at my house already, hungover. I would get up and go to school. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would come back and wake them up after school. Oh, my God. That was more. more They they missed that free lunch. No, we Especially. did. We did eat a lot of those free lunches. Awesome. And the funny thing is, I am still really good friends with um, Andre Griffin, whose mom was Miss Jeffries, who was our lunch lady. And she was the meanest lunch lady. Oh, yeah. We were terrified of her. She seemed like she hated us black mm-hmm. white students. Right. Mm-hmm. And white and Asian. Back then it was us. And then rest in peace. John Hatley was with us. Um, a very cool white boy from Richmond District. Mm-hmm. And later on, um, Josh Hankey, who ended up being a punk rock, like with a million things, but was really quite nerdy back when he hung with us. Mm-hmm. We, I think we influenced a lot of people in the bad direction. <laughs> um, but fun. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah. So my house was cool to drink and smoke at and do whatever at. So mm-hmm. it was kind of that. And it was right down the hill from school. So mm-hmm. that worked out. And Were Wendy um, and Judy and Passion going to the school too? Yeah. Okay. Well, so every, we all what? enrolled. And then for like four years, we started school every year and they all dropped out and I kept going. So I kept going right. because I kind of liked all them brothers up there and mm-hmm. everything. It was the 80s. It was the crack era. It still was kind of fly. And mm-hmm. they liked me. So I kind of, by this time, my hair's growing out a little bit. I got some bleach blonde going. I'm kind of like feeling my hip hop side a little bit more. Was this early hip hop? Yes. Already? So yeah. I fell in love with hip hop because my boyfriend Max from Boston gave me that Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five tape in 1982. Oof. And I was in Vermont in the like snow walking a mile uphill with my boombox playing some Grandmaster Flash and the Max. Furious Five. <laughs> so hip hop was always a part of my thing. I was always really into that. But, you know, it was... 
And what was fun is that um, Wendy and Judy and Passion grew up going to Ben Franklin and Fillmore and then going to Gal and had always gone to these largely black schools and were totally into that music as well Mm -hmm. as they were their metal and everything else Mm -hmm. too. So when like the Beastie Boys came out and they were us, they were punk rock kids that were into hip hop, it was... It was a wrap. Mm-hmm. We were at those shows on stage with them. Like <laughs> they asked us to party with them after. Um, that was our shit. Like we were super. We would go to these metal parties and just play fucking rap and just get on those metalhead guys' <laughs> nerves, you know. And we we're also our other like I think Bad Brains and Beastie Boys were our, like two main go-tos that we all super agreed on and loved and we did get to the bad brains show in 87 at the farm and we were right there on stage with them too and it was it was a pinnacle it was pretty awesome because we were trying to see them for a really long time um we also saw like butthole surfers there a million reggae shows there the farm has a whole documentary about it the farm the farm was a lot of fucking fun, but we used to go to all the things. All those reggae shows were fantastic. It'd be a whole day. It'd be like a festival in a building. Well, there's another guy that wrote a book a while back. It was mostly about being strung out and stuff. But he's, he's a good writer. I forget his name. But he, this is a cute story. He was a kid. He's younger than us. He was a hippie kid who was going to clown school in the basement of the farm. And he lived there by himself during all those shows and just used to wander up and hang out. Like, damn, I thought my childhood was on the hook. It was such a good story, though. I've been to, um, there was a school there that a boyfriend of mine's daughter was going to for a while at some point. There's been all kinds of things at the farm. Yeah. People don't know about the farm. They should. The scene at the farm, the outside scene in that park was fucking crazy. Like, there was gang wars there. We would be out there because we spent a lot of time outside shows. We were really poor and Mm -hmm. we stole everything. All our food and alcohol and stuff, we just stole. And so, like, we were, you know, we hustled our way around. So, I always had that thing with the brothers, so I would always find a security guard and, like, kind of schmooze them to get us into shows and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And that, we, I had a regular guy at the farm that I could usually... Get him to look the other way while we snuck in for shows. Cool. Um, but there used to be some crazy shit going on in that park out there. It was like a meeting place of a lot of cultures. It would be like cholos and skinheads fighting, like gang I was fighting say, like, and even shit. Even geographically, it's where a lot of neighborhoods Yeah. Meet. Like, yeah. It's a cool skate park now, right? I wish, yeah, I really wish I had gotten, I moved here in 2000, so oh, well okay. after it closed, but... Mm. Definitely the farm is a great place. I really hope it does open up because um, yeah. it's still there. So why? So it should. And it's right. such a great location. So I was always an avid reader. It's literally saved my life in every way because, well, we didn't even have a TV. I didn't even have a TV growing up. So I was late to learn how to read. But once I did, that was just like, I know I can escape here. Mm-hmm. So wherever I went, I was just like, find a book and I'd be okay. Um like later in life, finally now, I know that I'm kind of an introvert and I have a lot of anxiety and it makes perfect sense. But I didn't know any of the reasons why I just knew what was safe and worked for me, right? So reading was always a really big part of my life. And none of my other friends read at all. And so when I was about 17, I was high as shit at Buckwheat's house. And there was a Bukowski book on the coffee table. It's like three o'clock in the morning. I pick it up and start reading it. And I'm like, this motherfucker 
is like us. Mm -hmm. He just fucks and drinks and gambles and writes about it. I could do this. Mm -hmm. So I was like, hey, uh, can I borrow this book? And I just went home and devoured that shit. And then Wendy Judy Passion would come over and I'd be like, can I read to you? I would make them listen to me read to them. And they, and they loved it, right? Which was when I realized that I like to read out loud. But I didn't do anything with it. Right. Didn't have any kind of education at all. Can't to this day write an essay. Don't know grammar. Um, but always wanted to be a writer after that point. And I journaled like crazy. But in a huge fight with Andre, I burned all the journals. Uh, and it's so fucking sad. But um, I did journal back then. And I did know that it would be so dope to have a female Bukowski. Like a young woman writing that raw. Like I fucked this dude last night and he was like blah, 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 you know. And that's how I write to this okay. day. But it, I didn't start writing until... Early 90s, I went to jail, I moved back east, I came back, I got pregnant, I started raising a kid. I moved to um, Oakland in 95. I lived in Richmond, Iron Triangle for five years in housing. I moved back to Oakland, and I've been in Oakland ever since. So at this point in life, I've lived in Oakland more than anywhere else. Okay. Um, but I still claim being from San Francisco. You like still got a 415. Said, I, I have a 415 phone number, and I will try to always have that. Um, exactly. Because it's like, I'm from Fillmore. My boyfriend in high school was Andre Nicotina. My baby daddy is Creature Man. Anybody from Fillmore know who Creature Man is? Because he's that guy. So, so I always really secretly wanted to be a writer, but I was super afraid to ever voice that because I thought like if you don't have an education and a degree then you're you know people are gonna make fun of you or something I don't know I was always really insecure and then I and I went to nursing school I did graduate that but otherwise I just basically enrolled in college dropped out enrolled in college dropped out throughout life always trying to just like work and keep a roof over my head so in my 30s my I now have a son I'm a single mom I visit my same old crazy auntie, but now she's a cowgirl and lives on a ranch in Nevada. Oh, wow. And <laughs> I'm with her and we're like talking about our life, watching our kids play. We have sons that are just um, t 10 months apart. Wow. And we're like, let's make, you know what? That's it. Like, let's make a pact. She is an amazing artist, but hadn't been doing shit with it for a long time. And I and so we just, I said, I promise I will enroll in a creative writing class as soon as I get home. And she was like, okay, I'm going to seriously think about this. And then we started sending each other writing and stuff. And like that David Bowie painting is oh. hers. And so creative writing class, so did that happen? writing class. I went to a Berkeley City College. Mm -hmm. The first assignment was to write a poem. I was like, I fucking hate poetry. Of course. I don't want to write. I didn't ever read Bukowski's poetry even. I fucking was like, no. Poetry? <laughs> no. Zero interest. But you loved hip hop. But I loved hip hop. Just like, like hindsight. I no. And I wouldn't have said I hated like slam poetry right. as it related to that hip hop. Like, yes, but I didn't want to do that. Right. I, it's like yes I still to this day love hip hop more than life itself but it wasn't something I thought I should be doing got it um and so I wrote a poem about my dad my dad died that year and I came back I wrote a poem a story meh 
I loved the people in class. I loved hearing people read their stories. I'm obsessed with people's stories. My favorite genre is memoir. My favorite mm. thing in the world has been documentaries since I was a kid. I mean, when there was hardly any documentaries when we mm -hmm. were growing up, and yet, I mean, that is always my go-to. Real people, real stories is my favorite thing in the whole world. Yeah. So um, I, I was just like, yeah, these are kind of my people. And then, so I re, I, my dad died, I came back and I just signed up for poetry and creative writing. And um, I was writing about my dad like crazy because he was such a fucking character. I was just like, I have to document because he was a storyteller, right? And he's no longer here, so I gotta write this shit down. So I'm doing that and I met um, a poet in one of my classes, MK Chavez, who was already established poet and she was like, um, I'd like to have you come and read. And I was like freaked out. Like, I, I think you're mistaken. I've never read anything in front of anybody except like I would Your call friend. Wendy and Judy yeah. and be like, can I read you something? You know? Um, and she's like, Oh no, I think you should. And it was, um, on Valencia at the creamery, which I guess was part of that. What's that? The, the college there, new college. New college mm -hmm. Um, and I read with Julia Vinograd and some other legendary poets. That I, did. I didn't know that. I brought my friends and all our kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. We were like <laughs> my thugged out boyfriend, yes. Mike, Mike. And we were fighting. And oh, my God, I was so nervous. And all my poetry is super confessional. And did, did you already have any like any kind of style that you brought to it or? That night? I was or? born with a style, yeah. I think. Okay. So I think that right away, I always heard um, you have a really strong voice and you have a lot of stories to tell. Mm. So I looked at poetry as um, not the thing to this day that I want to do. I want to still write the memoir. I was intending to write a memoir. That's how I got into it. So I went to a memoir thing and I met this guy, Joe Loya, who wrote his memoir, which is called The Man Who Outgrew His Prison Cell. Mm -hmm. He was a bank robber and he also has a really successful podcast oh. about bank robbing. Awesome. <laughs> Anyways, he's, he's a cool character and he got me to write some stories. But I still haven't finished that initial project and that was like 2006. Mm-hmm. But I will. I am. I promise. But my short attention span lent itself to poetry. Because okay. I feel like nobody could tell me my grammar wasn't good because it's poetic license. Right. And I could tell you all these crazy things that are flowing out of my mouth and, um, and just, you know, it's a poem. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so it works. Like I could storytell in short tidbits. So all of my books, I feel like, are memoirs and poems, basically. Like there's there's some what of an arc, and you know, yeah, you're starting with me as a kid and going mm -hmm. up through all these events or whatever. How did it go that first night? Oh, I was fucking horrible. <laughs> I read so fast that um, yeah. they thought it was one long poem. <laughs> right. right. But of course, my friends were supportive mm -hmm. and. Um, I guess I was hooked after did that. Did you like it? Like, do, forget how it went. Well, it was you so, like it? you know, I you tell people like, hey, we did a lot of shit for adrenaline or we are, you know, getting high and drunk and whatever and shoplifting and all that fucking shit. This is my thing now. Like, I'm fucking terrified to get in front of people and read. But that's like a whole high in itself, right? And then you, and then afterwards, when people like you and are interested, 
Oh, you're totally hooked. Like, I was super hooked. I started hosting um, writing workshops at my house. I have, like, a monthly workshop, and I'll have different writers facilitate it. I have... um, I host two now reading series, which I never wanted to be that end of things, but people ask you, and then you do, and then whatever. I just really like to be the one that shows up, reads some shit, and drops the mic and walks out, you know? But no, doing all this other stuff. I, I Somewhere along the line, my early poetry, I had the Mike Mike, the thugged out boyfriend, and I could have never like invited all these crazy poets in my house and stuff. It wouldn't when it vibed but when we broke up and it was a horrible breakup and I was like always like well the thing that I'm good at in life is like cooking for people and making people comfortable and having a house full of people like my dad always did and looking out for people Mm -hmm. and yeah just like nurturing Mm -hmm. and so I started bringing that together with my writing life a little bit and really opening up my home to these workshops and sometimes we have readings in the backyard and I have birthday parties for other writers and then I host a couple reading series now I have um two two at the Legionnaire which is a great bar on Telegraph in Oakland um, so I, what well, it's fun because you read with so many people and you kind of fall in love with certain people. I'm like a terrible listener. So when I read with somebody that really catches my attention, I'm just like smitten. And then now I get to be like, Oh, will you read on my thing? Or will you come on my podcast? So, um, I started doing all these other things, which has taken me more away from the writing side, but keeps me having this whole community of crazy, awesome people of all ages, ethnicity. Like my writing life is so interesting. Um, where can people find you if you want them to find I you? have um, a website, CassandraDallet.me. And there are links on there to the podcast, to YouTube. I have hell of videos of me reading poetry on YouTube. Um, there are links to buy any of my books. And there are links to the podcast, which is the Badass Bookworm on um, any platform. Badass Bookworm podcast. And that's just me chatting with other writers about writing things in life and politics and all kinds of shit. It's super fun. That was Cassandra Dallet. Check back next week when we'll hear from veteran corner store owner Sam Mount. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Please help support what we do by going to the store page on our website and choosing from several different pledge levels. The site is storiedsf.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram or subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. And if you have any feedback for us, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>